0: to heart of the matter this is a live call-in show let's start with a word of prayer if we can heavenly father we love you lord we praise your name and we thank you for this day we ask your blessings upon our viewers whoever they may be that this show will help them draw closer to you and know you in a true and intimate way lord we pray that i will speak and say the things that are beneficial to your causes and not my own and that I'll just step aside, and we'll have a good show. Lord, we pray for this. In Jesus' name, amen. One quick announcement. There's a group of, uh, of Christian men who are going on a fishing, fishing trip called Fishers of Men. If you have an interest in doing that in June, uh, email jerm underscore rob at yahoo.com. This is something that's going on, and you might find good fellowship there. I want to talk for a moment, if I can, about the right Jesus. For the past few weeks, I've gotten a number of emails from people, uh, Christians, uh, some apologists, some counter-cult ministry, other Christian, concerned Christians, saying that it's really important when Latter-day Saints call in the show and profess faith in Jesus Christ, that I examine and critique who this Jesus is, that I say, well, this isn't the same Jesus, and I let Latter-day Saints know that. I want you to know that I find that an exercise in futility and it's not going to happen on this show. There's a few reasons for that and maybe I can explain that. I'm going to use a little prop here. You take this apple for for example. Um, It has characteristics that are recognizable to most people. It has color, it has smell, it has a sound if you bite into it, it has taste, it has a certain weight and a certain shape and this apple has these characteristics and most people who have their senses can discern what an apple is. Now there are some places in the world where an apple um, may not be recognized for what it is. Uh, Some people may only recognize red round objects as apples and not know that apples come in green and yellow and even purple and other colors. Some people only know the characteristics of an apple and don't know the cellular makeup of an apple. Some people don't even realize what the core is or how the seeds work. Some people don't know the temperature that are need- that's needed to grow this apple. So there's all kinds of knowledge just around a simple piece of fruit that we could probably have a whole show on on what is truly the essence of the apple. Now I'm not talking about relativist thinking here. I'm not saying there aren't absolutes. But when we're talking about someone like the Lord Jesus Christ, if I'm not going to spend time or energy to try to discern whether you're talking about the real Jesus or the false Jesus. When you say you're talking about Jesus Christ, I believe that opens the door to the true Jesus Christ. Let me explain. Paul in Philippians was talking to some people, and he says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 15 Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other. Of love knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel and this is the important part listen to this he says what then notwithstanding every way whether in pretense or in truth Christ is preached and I therein do rejoice yea and will rejoice so Paul is saying if if Christ is being preached in pretense or if he's being preached out of contention or out of out of something that isn't real that's okay Christ is being preached and we have to believe that God is big enough to take people who say they believe in Jesus in whatever mode as much as it's lacking or as much as it's strong and he can touch their hearts now that being said Latter-day Saints do believe in many aspects that are very very biblical of Jesus Christ they believe he was born of a virgin Please don't call with questions on the word Alma in the Old Testament and and its translation. We can talk about that. But they believe he was born of a virgin. And forget Brigham Young's comments too. They believe that he is the son of God. They believe that he lived a perfect life. They believe that he atoned for the sins of the entire world. They do add the garden in there, but they believe in the cross as well. They do believe he died and was resurrected on the third day. They do believe he ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father. I am very well aware, having been a Latter-day Saint, the things that they add to the idea of Jesus. I'm also very well aware of the things they take away. Nothing in my heart hurts me more than to hear a Latter-day Saint call Jesus their elder brother. To me, it's a demeaning phrase. To me, it hurts and it lowers who Jesus was and the esteem of people, rather than lifting him up to where he should be. But I'm not going to talk on that point because this doesn't get us anywhere. If I sat down with a Latter-day Saint and and we started going back and forth on who Jesus is, or my Jesus is this and mine is this and this, we're not going to get anywhere. So what will really work? I propose to you that what works is spiritual rebirth. Have you been spiritually reborn through this Jesus Christ that you worship or that you know or that you believe in? And even though it's a subjective experience and people can say, well, that's the personal thing, being spiritually reborn is an event that cannot be denied when it happens. And if it doesn't happen, you won't, even, you won't be able to say it, it did. If you do, then you're probably fooling yourself. So spiritual rebirth is a thing that we should focus on with people, not who their Jesus is. When I came to know the Lord at the side of the road, I was a Mormon. I had Mormon ideas of who Jesus was. And yet with that knowledge that I had, limited as it was and skewed as it was, the Lord took me and he gave me a new heart. And then I progressively came to know the real identity of Jesus Christ biblically. We don't need to argue the other things first. And that's, that's my point right off the bat. Second thing is, uh, about two years after being spiritually reborn, I felt very inclined and prompted to write a book, and, and I did. And the book is called Born Again Mormon, and it is, um, which is a title in and of itself bothers people. Uh, it's subtitled Moving Toward Christian Authenticity. And the book has been endorsed. Uh, Carl Westerland says it's a great read for any Christian, a must read for every Latter-day Saint. Craig Hazen, a Professor of Comparative Religion and Christian Apologetics at Biola University calls it provocative. Grant Palmer, my good friend who wrote An Insider's View of Mormon Origins, and also a very beautiful book about Jesus called The Incomparable Jesus, calls it brash and outspoken. Um, uh, LDS uh, Doctor, a member of the church, calls it, says, the book avoids the tired and rehashed anti-Mormon approach, and I think it does. And Ken Demarco, an English Christian teacher, says it's authentic and theologically rigorous. Now, we offer this this book on my website at bornagainmormon.com. And if you want it, email me, give me your address, and we'll send you this book. Now, as far as cost, I sell this book for $10 to Christians who have money. If you're a Christian and you don't have money, write me and I'll send you the book. Uh, If you're LDS and you're out to read it and try to attack it, I want to charge you the $10. If you want to just read it because you're curious about knowing the Lord better, I want to send it to you free. We give more, I've given probably three quarters of these books away uh, versus the others that have been sold. Not out to make money with it. It's really to hopefully help you get to know the Lord better. So that's a second thing I wanted you to to hear. Uh, Again, I want you to remember that if you're just tuning in and you're watching this on a Tuesday morning, this is a rebroadcast. Tune in tonight at 8 o'clock for the live show. All right. I'm often presented with two questions when it comes to spiritual rebirth. The first question is, how do I know I've been spiritually reborn, okay? And the second one is, I am an active Latter-day Saint who embraces all things LDS, and I've been born again. Is this possible? Do you believe this? And I want to tell you a sure-fire test for knowing if you've been born again. Now it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't definitely prove it, but it certainly lends to knowing that you have. You ready for it? The surefire test is do you praise and do you worship God? Do you find yourself praising and worshiping God, not being led to, or not being commanded to, or not getting in a group and feeling like you should to be part of the group, but is it a natural thing that happens to you when you're alone? Now, when I was um, first born again, or actually before I was regenerated by the Lord, I used to mock uh, television uh, evangelism shows where people were raising their hands. You see these auditoriums, and they're swinging, and they're praising and they're singing out loud and all the hand stuff and and I used to think that was so ridiculous and I made fun of it and I ha- because I had no idea of what it was we mock the things we don't understand I didn't understand it and from an LDS perspective it seemed like theatrics and some kind of uh, I don't know what so I just didn't appreciate it or like it and after I became born again having not been trained anything Christian I noticed a natural upwelling in me that started to praise God and thank Him. When I wake up in the morning I would thank God for the health, for the, the, my surroundings, for the weather, walking outside and seeing the grass and, and thanking Him for that and thanking Him for the streets I have to drive on and the, and the car I have to, to, to uh, use and all these material blessings and then for His Son and I noticed that I was singing songs that I was making up myself that would kind of express how I felt about the Lord and no one had taught me this. This came about naturally. If you say you're born again, do you praise God? Now some Latter-day Saints might say well praising God and the way you worship and the things you do is a cultural event and I want you to know that it's not cultural. It is not a cultural event. In fact let's turn to the Bible quickly And let's hear some things that the Bible says about praise. In Hebrews 13, 15, it says, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Do you offer the sacrifice of praise? They call it a sacrifice in Hebrew of praise. What does that mean? It means you're taking the time to offer up your heart and soul to God for the things he's done for you. If you don't do that naturally, if it's not part of you, you can then look to see if you've really turned your life over to God and and if He's given you a new heart. Ephesians 5.18 says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalms 50.23 says, Whoso offereth praise glorifies me. Praise, very, very different for a Latter Day Saint. Can you imagine walking into a, a, a sacrament meeting and the, the the opening song or hymn being something that is so full of joy for what the Lord has done? And the members start standing up, they may clap a little bit, I don't know, doesn't have to do that. They might raise their hands, they might not, but they sing with their heart, bursting forth for what the Lord's done. And they praise Him. And then in communications through the hall, how you doing, Brother Jones? Oh, praise God, He has done so much for me. We don't hear that in the LDS church. You never hear that. Don't think I'm picking on you. Look at the reality. Praise is missing from Mormonism. Why? It's very biblical. Let's look at Colossians 3.15. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. In the name of the Lord Jesus, it says. You know, you watch, you watch these television programs and you hear the Christians call them, Oh, I just am so thankful for the Lord Jesus. And as Latter-day Saints, I remember my attitude. The Lord Jesus and make fun of the way they said Jesus. And sometimes, you know, it still bothers me. But when I went and I learned that his real name, Iesus in the Greek, and Yeshua in Hebrew, and Joshua in the transliteration of English, Jesus, um, it took on different meaning. Psalms 67, let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. Latter-day Saints, whether you're in your home or together with a group, are you praising the Lord? Call me and tell me how you're doing it. If you consider yourself Mormon and born again, which some of you claim, explain to me, is that praise a natural process of your beliefs? Let's hear some feedback. Psalms 116 says, sacrifice of thanksgiving. That's Again, it's put in the form of a sacrifice of our time and our hearts and our minds to God to thank him. I know we have our moments, but is it a continual thing? I want you to know that praising God is a form and an evidence of genuine spiritual rebirth. You can't help it. It's it's impossible to help it. The reason is, is, before you were reborn, your flesh lived in a fleshly world, and you responded to the things of the flesh. When you're given a new spirit, your spirit is now in heavenly places. And it corresponds to the things of heavenly places and your mouth cannot be stopped for the utterances that it will put out because of the conversion you've had through the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to do something right now before we open up the phone lines. In fact, we're going to open up the phone lines right now, but I'm going to do something that might scare you because I don't have a great singing voice. But I want to share with you a little praise song I learned in graduate school. And uh, it's something that you can uh, just practice and, and try singing that and see what it does with your heart in relationship to the Lord. Okay, here we go. Sing hallelujah to the Lord. Sing hallelujah to the Lord. Sing hallelujah. Sing hallelujah. Sing hallelujah to the Lord. The word hallelujah in Hebrew means praise the Lord. That's where they get that, that, that phrase they use all the time, the Christians. It has great, deep meaning. And I can assure you that if you're not praising Him in your body, when you die and if you meet Him, you're gonna be praising Him harshly in your, in your spirit and wishing you had done more of it. You can't force it, you can't fake it. But if you ask the Lord to take over your life, he'll do it and you'll begin to praise him. I also want to offer Latter-day Saints if you're out there and you haven't experienced spiritual rebirth to call and we and if you want to try to do it we can try to talk it through over the phone and just do a little test take the challenge over the phone and we can just do it right here. That would be a a great thing to do. All right, Uh, Jess in Provo is on line one. Here we go. Oh sorry, Jess.
1: Jess? Oh hey you're on how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. Hey, um, first of all, just um, on the topic that you're on about praising the Lord. Yeah. Um, well, I'm a, I'm a member of the LDS faith. Yeah. And particularly, I think, you know, as we go to church and, and we sing hymns, you know, we pray together. Uh-huh. Um, you know, as we're singing and studying, I think we're praising the Lord. But, okay. I mean, that's that's the way I look at it. But... I actually had a question from an earlier episode that I saw today at eleven. Okay. Um, you said that it, for you, it's it's really important. Um, your faith or belief in the Bible um, is often maybe based on archaeological proof or genetic proof. Oh. Um, hey,
0: I think I have a. You wrote. You called, didn't you?
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah I,
0: I was going to read your question.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I was just wondering because, like, I think the Bible and the Book of Mormon as well kind of teach us that often things, you know, they're, they're things that we don't see, but we, we know they're true through faith. And I was wondering, you know, what's, what's your take on that? I mean, as far as, you know, gaining the testimony of maybe the Bible or Book of Mormon through holy faith as opposed to, you know, maybe some other um, sources. Is it Jeff?
0: Yeah, Jeff, what I think is, is, I go to the scriptures, and uh-huh. faith is the substance of things not seeing the evidence. Substance of things not seeing the evidence. What? How do you finish it? Do you remember it? Uh-huh. It's <laughs> no, he, come it. on, man. Now I'm really blowing it. Uh, Hebrews. Substance of things not seen. the evidence. Of things that are true, but it's substance and evidence. I don't believe that archaeological um, evidences create faith at all. And I don't have faith in the Bible because of the archaeological evidences, but I do believe they support faith. And I believe that if you believe the Bible is inerrant and then you can see that there's archaeological support and other supports for it, it supports the faith that God has given us. Faith's a gift of God. I don't believe that it... Well, there's saving faith and then there's, there's faith and knowledge, but I, I don't... To clarify, and I'm sorry if I misled people in that, I don't use archaeological discoveries or evidences to create my faith.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's just basically that was my question because I know that the faith is is the the main thing, and yeah. you know obviously if there was archaeological evidence of something that you do have faith in, I understand how that would be a positive thing. but right. Um. I know that the faith is the basis. Right. Um. Absolutely.
0: On Thanks for the call, add. brother. Yeah. Okay. We're going to David from Magna on line two.
2: David, fire away. Okay, I'm an excommunicated Mormon. How are you
1: doing? Yeah, <laughs> I do accept the Bible as being true, and I accept God as the only God and Son, Jesus Christ. Uh-huh. My question is, since I don't go to any organized religion because I can't find one that I feel comfortable with, uh-huh. am I still going to be accepted to, into heaven? Or am I going to go to hell?
0: Well, I, I, you know what, David? I, I read the Bible... And I read it in order of kind of the priorities that it gives from Genesis to Revelation. And the priority is Jesus and faith in Jesus Christ. After that, it's obeying his commandments. And then after that, it includes doing the things that are suggested in the Bible, which includes fellowshipping with like-minded saints. But fellowshipping with like-minded saints does not in any way Uh, get you into heaven, and not fellowshipping with him does not keep you out. Your faith in Jesus Christ and believing that he atoned for your sins and suffered for you and died is the thing that's going to either get you into heaven or not, and it's only that. But once you have that faith, it's going to propel you to want to do things the way he wants you to do them. And you know what? I am so much in your boat when it comes to organized religion. It can be so tough and so hard to find one that, that works, but they're there. And there's a number of them around the, the Salt Lake area. I've visited many that are there that uh, you could find. And, you know, just let the Lord do the leading and let the Lord guide you. Instead of, you know, that guy's really irritating me or that pastor, I know he's a hypocrite. Or, you know, kind of try to turn away from that and just let the Lord lead you in those churches. And I think you'll find one.
3: Okay. Thank you very much. That's
0: kind of how I feel. All right, brother. You take care. We're going to Doug on Salt Lake City on line three. Doug, go ahead. Well, Hi, how
2: are you today? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Great. I I was a Mormon until I was 53 years old. Yeah. I had four brothers that served missions. Three of my own four sons have served missions. Uh huh. Two of my sons are now born again Christians with with myself, and um, I would have hated to have had to done this, you know, gone out of Mormonism myself alone. Uh huh. Uh, praising and singing six or seven beautiful praise songs before the pastor preaches is just about the most important thing. Yeah, I, I live for the opportunity to sing praise, and and I didn't ever sing uh-huh. when I was growing up I, through the entire. No one ever opened the book of Revelation. They they don't touch on the Bible a lot. Yeah, but when I talk to my brothers and my family and most of the people I know in this world that are Mormons, Mm -hmm. it's like you said, you can't argue about which Jesus they believe in, Mm -hmm. but what dialogue, what opening dialogue can be enduring? I hate to leave in an argument knowing that that person's thinking, I hope I don't ever see my cousin or my (laughs) neighbor or an old friend again. Because he
0: argued with me about what I believe. It's never... It's, never. It, it,
2: what's the opening dialogue that can be enduring?
0: I found a cu- I've found a couple, and I've got to hurry because the lines are full here, but let me tell you a couple. One is, I talk to them about, uh, do they know they're saved? And you don't have to go to an ugly argument about any, any theology or doctrines. They can say, well, I'm trying, and you can just kind of easily explain to them that you can know when you're given a new heart through the Lord, you know that you are His and He does not let you out of His hand and that He guides you. And the other one is sin. Uh, when I talk to missionaries, I often talk to them about sin. It was my own sin that convicted me and helped me break as a person and realize that I couldn't do it on my own. Those two approaches seem to be uh, the best seeds to plant where it doesn't have to go to argument and you can hug each other in love and go your own way. All right, brother?
2: Thank you, Annette. Have a nice evening.
0: Take care. Same dear. We're going to Barton on line one from Salt Lake City. All right. Barton.
2: Last week you
4: said that there was no evidence for the Book of Mormon to be true, but I know of lots of archaeological evidence that it is uh, too uh, fantastic to be coincidental. And yeah. We also have the several written histories taken from tribes orally by Spanish Priests uh, like in the early 1600s.
0: Yeah. And what did those? What did they talk about, Barton?
4: And one of them in particular, uh, Joseph Ishiedel Chiladol, who was.
0: You're talking about Quetzalcoatl?
4: No, Ishiedel Chiladol. Okay. He was uh, born in Mexico, but was raised a Spanish monk, and he took an oral history from several tribes. That basically reads like a Reader's Digest version of the Book of Mormon. Yeah, focusing more on the history.
0: Yeah, you know if those just aren't. You're, if you go to the Substonian Barton, if you just look at the reliable sources, I know there can be things that can be construed or thought of as, as too great to be a coincidence. But I, I mean, I, I have no reason to lie. I don't want to lie. I don't want to present <coughs> anything false. But Barton, if you really examine and go in, all you're going to do is find facts that you're going to want to believe. Nothing is verified by anybody who has any skill or profession in those areas. You're just not going to find it. And, and, and that's, that's okay, you know, in some ways. I'm not saying that the Book of Mormon needs to have all this evidence for it, but I am saying there is no evidence for it, and I stick by that. And if you can come and call and give me something actually concrete, I'll correct myself, but you're not going to find it, brother. I've talked to the guys at farms. I've heard a lot of different things, and there's all the conjecture, but bottom line, there is absolutely no archaeological evidence proving the Book of Mormon, none. The Bible there is we got to go on to Draper and Randall. Thanks for calling. Line 2. Randall, you're on from Draper. What's going on?
1: I just want to give you that verse. Hebrews (laughs) 11.1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen.
0: Oh, Randall, you're a lifesaver.
1: Thank you, brother. Appreciate your ministry.
0: Thanks so much. God bless. Okay, we're going to go to uh, some questions. I've got a ton of questions from other shows that we weren't able to get to. Uh, One is, what is legalism? I've heard you use that use that word on your website. Uh, legalism simply is when a law or practice or right takes place of faith in Jesus Christ as a means for salvation. Legalistic, the Jews were legalistic in their approach to religion before Jesus came and atoned for the sins of the world. They believed by obeying certain laws and certain rituals and ordinances was going to grant them a place within, in God's kingdom. And uh, Jesus even looked at the Pharisees and he pointed at them and he said, you know, if if your righteousness doesn't exceed that of the Pharisees, you're not going to make it to heaven. And his disciples said, well, who can do it? The reason was the Pharisees were so righteous in their outward stuff. They could do all the things really well. They spent a lot of time prepping themselves to outwardly conform to the religious rules. But Jesus, he he, he said, you know, but I tell you, the least in the kingdom of heaven is going to be more righteous than than those Pharisees. Why? Because of their faith on him who is truly righteous. Jesus said, the law says, if uh, if you commit adultery, you've broken the commandment. I say, if you even look upon a woman with lust in your heart, you're an adulterer. I want you to know that Jesus was saying that most men on this earth are adulterers. All right, because of the condition of our hearts, we are adulterous. Yeah, if we carry it out and act on it, it's much worse as far as the circumstances for our lives and for our families and for our wives and the tender feelings of all the people involved. But in our hearts, we are all adulterers. And Jesus was pointing out, you're not going to make it through your outward legalistic approach. You have to make it through me, faith in me, because I'm the one who overcame all. I'm the one who you can rely on and have faith on. Okay, we're going to, uh, nope, going to another question. Oh, by the way, uh, uh, Colossians and Ephesians 2.14, Hebrews 9.9 are very good uh, scriptures to turn to when you're talking about legalism. It talks about the ordinances of religion being nailed to the cross, ordinances of religion nailed to the cross with Christ, and that those ordinances are not the thing that get you to heaven. So I'd suggest you look those up. Uh, Question, do you believe a Mormon can be saved? I believe a Mormon can be saved. I believe that a Catholic can be saved. I believe Jews can be saved. Paul was the Jew of Jews and he was saved. Um, I think that what happens once you're uh, saved uh, is a different story and that's for other ministries, but I do believe, yes, a Mormon can be saved. Uh, what do you believe is the greatest problem in Mormonism today? Um, My mind goes to 2 Corinthians 12.9. And 2 Corinthians 12.9, quickly, before we go back to more calls, says... 2 Corinthians 12.9. I think this is probably one of the... Yeah, a little dead time here. 12.9, and he said unto me... My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And I think that probably the greatest threat and the greatest danger in Mormonism today is their strength. And they think because of the strength is a sign of, uh, of being uh, in favor with God. And actually, this verse says that his strength is made perfect in our weaknesses. And when we reveal ourselves as sinners and fallen and weak... I think that is really the key to opening the door to a life with Christ, not strength. Okay, we're going to Julia, Salt Lake City on line one. Julia, you're on.
3: Yes, um, I was wondering, um, back in the old days, King um, Solomon had a temple. And as far as I know, David supported that temple, and um, we have a temple on the earth today. Um, What do you think about the temple we have now? Isn't it after the older tradition?
0: Oh, that's a good question. You know, that's one that really seems to come up with Latter-day Saints. A couple things about the the temple. First of all, there was one temple and only one temple in the Old Testament times. And uh, there was a tabernacle first, and then there was a temple, a single site. That's so important to the Jews today that they don't even offer animal sacrifice, which is a great part of the Levitical law, because the temple mount is not theirs They haven't gone and opened up a temple somewhere else to continue to do it. So when we talk about a temple, we're talking about one place in the Old Testament. We're not talking about many, so there's one difference. Secondly, the New Testament, in the New Covenant, what happens is where God once dwelt in the Holy of Holies in the Old Temple, he now dwells in us, in the temple of in our spirits as we've been reborn through Christ. So the need for edifices, and you can find this all through the New Testament, is done away with. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the, of the temple, which was super, super thick carpet, tore from the top to the bottom, signifying by God these rooms and this stuff is over with. Temples are no longer needed. My gospel is open to all people. Finally, what the LDS do in the temple has absolutely no correlation to what was done in Solomon's temple. So there's three answers for you. I hope I've given you some food for thought.
3: Um, can I ask another question? Yes. Um, what about the, um, the people who have died on the other side, though, and um, I'm supposing they need to have
0: their work done for them? What work? Um, the work, like, the saving ordinances
3: that were done in Solomon's temple. There right? were no
0: saving? You, you, mean, you mean sacrificing animals?
3: Um, no, I mean, like, cleansing people from blood and sin of the generation.
0: The, cleansing people from the blood and sins of the generation is done through Jesus Christ. It's not done through ordinances any longer. And my answer to you just a minute ago, I thought, made that fairly clear. The, 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 the people who died before, now if you're talking about the people who died during Old Testament times, and then... Uh,
3: well, what about the people who die on the earth now? What about them? Well, don't they need to still have the same ordinances that were performed previously?
0: No, ordinances were nailed to the cross. I made mention of that earlier. Ordinances were all nailed to the cross. That's a reference from the Bible. In fact... Uh, I can give you those references if you want, but uh First Corinthians two thirteen, Ephesians two fourteen, Hebrews nine nine, Galatians two nineteen, all talk about ordinances being nailed to the cross with Christ. Ordinances do not save you, Julia. Faith in Jesus Christ is what saves you.
3: I believe in Jesus Christ. Amen. Um uh what about like um
0: now at this point, I'm supposed to ask you, "What Jesus do you believe in?" But let me ask you this.
3: I believe in the living I, I, Jesus.
0: I, let me ask you this, Julia. I know. Let me ask you this. Have you been born again, Julia?
3: Um, have I seen Christ in person? I hope so.
0: Well, if you've seen him in person, uh, you're you're in a far better state than me. Uh, and uh, congratulations and.
3: Uh, how do how do people though? Um, How do people who live on the earth, like, get cleansed from blood and sin, though, even if they believe in Jesus? Like, um, doesn't he need some type of ministers or helpers to do that type of work for No,
0: the work was done. The work was finished. When Jesus said, it is finished, it was finished. He did it. He was the perfect sacrificial lamb, Julia. There is nothing else after. When he did it, it was done. And that's why we live by faith now in him, that he did it for us. There's no need for ordinances and men to do things and all that. There's no need for it. None. It's faith. I've got calls waiting. Thank you. Keep tuning in. Bye-bye. we got Joe online, too. Joe. Hi. Uh, hey. I just
4: listened to your show here, and uh, you're talking about uh, how you praise and worship uh, uh, the
3: Lord. And uh, uh, I'd like to challenge uh, Mormon people if they want to listen to, to some good Christian music. Oh listen for a half hour on uh,
4: 88.7 or 88. Point, or 89.7 Joe
0: you're putting me in a predicament here <laughs> I don't I don't listen to the I don't know the radio stations you can be promoting something that's just horrible Oh no no this is good it's K-Love it's good christian K-love. music K-Love Well I'll, I'll trust you on that brother And, uh, because there's some Christian music I'd rather uh, just probably fall over and die than listen to, but, I mean... Well, you have to listen to it, too, if you've never heard it. Okay, well, maybe I should. Okay. Thanks for the tip, brother. Okay, uh, we're over here, we're on, uh, we're we're done with those. Okay, other questions? Uh, Do you believe? All right. Uh, Why don't you ever talk about the stuff that makes Mormonism not Christian? Like polygamy, becoming gods, and temple rituals. Well, I think um, I think before you attack uh, people uh, about specifics to their religious culture, um, and I think I've made this clear as we've talked in the past few shows. I think Jesus is the more important thing, and I think when he is shared, that hearts open and dialogue continues. And polygamy or its place in, in Mormon history and its inclusion in Doctrine and Comets 132 still today and the blacks in the priesthood and all those things they find their place very readily when someone comes to know the Lord and the people take care of those things according to His will and not their own once they come to light so um, I'm not sure that that's uh, uh, that's the reason I don't go into those things uh, and let's go to. Oh, wait a second. Uh, let me find this. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Salt Lake. He is currently practicing Mormon. He has always been taught about current-day apostles as a witness for Christ. How does Sean respond to that? Um, I believe in in apostleship, and I believe in in gifts of prophecy, and I think that the New Testament talks about those. You'll always find in the New Testament that it's always listed apostles and prophets. Always apostles and prophets. And it also talks about the, the law and the prophets being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I can give you some very good scriptural references uh, about uh, prophets ending uh, when Jesus Christ came. If you look at the uh, parable of uh, the vineyard where the king sends his uh, only son last, and last of all, after they've killed all the prophets, came his son. I think there's biblical references that show that prophets and apostles are not in office necessary anymore. Well, why did Jesus have apostles when he was on the earth? because they were witnesses of him firsthand and of those 12 weak things out of just 12 guys or 11 after Judas, they went out and the gospel has reformed the entire world even to the way we we keep our dates. So just by Jesus and those 11 guys going forth, Christianity has consumed the world. Um, it doesn't take a, a restored gospel with new apostles and prophets. We have the word of God with firsthand accounts from people. And that's why, that's how I stand on a, the office of apostles and prophets today. Okay, we're going to line two with Roger. Roger, you're on, you're on Heart of the Matter. Roger? You got to turn your TVs off if you're uh, calling in. You're going to get major feedback. Roger, you on? We're going to... Not line two. All right, let me go to another question. We have two people on the line, but they're being talked to. Okay. Uh, I heard you last Tuesday. Praise the Lord for what you are doing. Um, Mormons need to know, and this is a long email, but Mormons need to know that they're saved by grace and not by works, and that's going to be a topic of another show. We will discuss that at length. But uh, we are saved by, by faith, and we'll talk about that at length. Uh, I have Randall on line one, and I have another question here. Randall, you're on Heart of the Matter. Randall?
2: Yeah, I was wondering if you thought that if God had a wife or a lot of wives, or if he even is, uh, you know, as a sexual being and stuff.
0: <laughs> I think God is a spirit. I think Jesus said, God is the Spirit, and we must worship Him in spirit and truth. It's incomprehensible to me to understand how a God who could create planets unnumbered more than the sands of the sea would have use for lungs and intestines and toenails and fingernails and to be an anthropomorphic figure. God is a spirit. God does not have wives. God is everything. He is almighty, He is all powerful, He is everything. And I don't put him in an anthropomorphic uh, setting. So that's how, Randall. How did the spirit babies get born? Spirit <laughs> Are you messing with me, Randall? The spirit babies. Uh, we're not going to go down into uh, LDS doctrine that way. Um, but I appreciate your call, buddy. Brigham them rules. Okay, man. Bye-bye. Connie West Jordan on line two? Yeah, hi. Hi. Who Are you, are you Connie? No, I'm John. Hey, John. What's going on?
4: Yeah, hey, uh, I've been praying for about a year, trying to find out what religion I should follow. I mean, I've been a Mormon most of my life, but uh-huh. I'm more of a realist than anything.
0: A realist? Uh,
4: yeah, a realist. I believe in what I see, not what I read. Yeah. And I'm just having a problem trying to find out what, where I should go, what I should follow.
0: Well, I mean, you, you shouldn't follow a religion, and if you're a realist, you're automatically going to be in trouble. I know I am, <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, faith is kind of antithetical to realism. Now there are supports for faith, but you know, faith is really the operative word, and, and you got to believe.
3: Well, I believe that the Jesus died, you know, for okay. our sins and stuff. Okay,
0: well, that's a great start, man. And if you have that belief, build on it. And I'd go to the Lord. Well, I've been going to him for a lot. And and what do you do on Sundays? Do you go visit churches? Uh, I read the book I read the Bible yeah well maybe do that of course I
4: should go to a church because how do you know which one's the one to go to
0: well you'll know when you go and you find out if you uh, like that type of ministry if you like their worship if you like the way the pastors preaching I know several pastors in this uh, Utah Valley and Salt Lake area that are phenomenal and preach the word verse by verse I
4: See, my brother's a bishop Yeah, and I uh, can assure you he doesn't... I love the way he feels about things and uh, the way he expresses himself, but I just don't get it. It just don't come to me like that.
0: Well, go to a Christian church. Tell the Lord, Lord, I'm going to some Christian churches. Guide me. Yeah, sounds like a great idea. Give it a go. Hey, I appreciate it. Call back, brother. Okay, God bless you. God bless you. Uh, We got a question here. We have someone on line three, but I'll read this. I was excommunicated with Drew name from LDS Church, which takes away baptism in the LDS Church. He believes that you need to be baptized to enter heaven. So which religion should you get baptized in to go to heaven? He is asking because he said he knew that Sean was not, had not yet got rebaptized. You know what? Uh, if, somebody, if a church professes the core values of Jesus Christ, meaning that he is uh, God incarnate, he's a third member of the uh, Trinity, that he came to this earth and suffered and atoned for the sins of the world, that he resurrected, all the core essentials of baptism. And you like the pastor and, 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 and the, or the reverend or whoever it is, let them baptize you. And, uh, you know, I always go back to Mark. I love that. And there's a few other passages, I think, in Luke that, that back that reference up. And um, where the Lord is walking along and someone was doing things and they weren't part of the apostles' group. And the apostles got all heated and said, Jesus, what should we do? Should we cast him out? And Jesus said, leave him alone, man. If he's he's not against us, he's for it, for us. And uh, let him go on and do those works in my name. So the whole authority uh, deal, I'm sorry, that's the works of a religion. And and priesthood, we could go heavy into that. And someday in our program, we're going to. But the priesthood, Jesus Christ is our high priest. And that's it. We're not high priests, and the authority comes from, from somebody having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and having that vocare, that vocation, that call from God to do his work. All right, that's the question on baptism. We're going to Connie on line three. Connie? Hi. Hi, how are you? I, I'm
5: awesome. Thank did you. I cut you off? No, I'm here.
0: Uh, did I cut you off before? Yes. I'm sorry.
5: It's okay. First of all, to answer Julia's question, what Jesus said on the cross was, to the debt was paid in full. My question to you um, is, I am an ex-Mormon, and I am born again. I have been now for about 12 years.
0: Praise my God. question
5: to you is my struggle that I'm having right now, because I truly have a love for the LDS people, and my children are struggling in high school right now because most of the um, kids that they deal with are LDS, and I'm having a problem with trying to... Um, Help my kids to understand they've asked for dates, and the parents will not allow my kids to go out with them because we are not LDS. Mm-hmm. Um, my question to you is how do we get the message out to the LDS people that we are not trying to um, disseminate them. All we're trying to do is love them. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to help my kids to understand they need to love them. hmm So I'm just trying, I'm asking you, how do we reach these children in the schools that are born-again kids who are dealing with LDS kids that are not being allowed to date because they're they're different faiths?
0: You know what, Connie? I I have limited, uh, I lived in Park City for two years, and I have limited uh, insight to your predicament. But I can say that I think that you're facing something that is not going to be fixed by trying to uh, communicate with LDS parents that it's okay for their children to date Christians. Uh, it's taught cradle to grave in the LDS church right. to be, yeah, you know, you were LDS. So I don't think you're you're personally going to be able to break down the barriers there, uh, and that might be a good thing for your children in the long run.
5: And I totally agree with you. My, my concern with it is, though, Whenever I've sat and watched, because I do sit and watch conferences so I can get a feel uh-huh. for what they're, they're being taught, mm-hmm. is their own leaders of their church have told them not to push away the people of, of that are not of their faith. They should be loving them. And instead, everywhere that I have lived, I have been pushed aside because we are not LDS. Yeah.
0: I'm sorry to hear that, but you know what, too? what comes out from the general does not always get to the end of the row right and uh... that's what you're faced with i just think you're facing as much of a cultural uh... fear as as much as a doctrinal thing and uh... i just pray that god will bless you and your children in this very difficult circumstance stay strong with him I know you are connie and uh... just an share awesome the love
5: inspiration Sean. to um God, I just want you to know that I, I have prayed for someone so dearly for someone like you and I'm going to get emotional but I just pray that God will continue to use you and manifest the fullness of the blood of Jesus Christ in and through you through the discernment and the clarity of the word that is speaking through your mouth you are an awesome testament of the Holy Spirit speaking in and through you and I praise your ministry I pray that God will continue to manifest a glorious harvest from the work that you are doing. God bless you, Sean.
0: Thanks, Connie. Praise God. uh, And obviously, God uses the weak things of the world completely. Look at me. And uh, so if Connie feels that way, it's nice. But uh, it's all him. And I believe that. And I mean that sincerely. We're going to line one. Kate. Kate, line one.
3: Um, Yes, Um, what about God's character in being that He um, is the same yesterday, today and forever?
0: Uh Uh-huh, yeah, I believe that. Tell me what you mean.
3: So, um, if Christ has like a prophet in old, which I believe in, and then a new prophet, Uh like isn't that consistent in character?
0: Well, He also had them doing many other things that that we no longer do since the uh, New Covenant. For instance, they sacrificed bulls and goats. And they did a number of things that were for a people that were pre-Christ. And then once Jesus came, things were fulfilled. Remember Jesus said, I'm not here to take away. So you're right in that sense, he doesn't take away, but he's here to fulfill that old covenant and to bring in the new, which incorporates the old. And so as far as the office office of prophets, um, if you read read through the New Testament and, and, and if you want, I'm gonna put on my site, references you can look at, the office of prophets was done away with when when Jesus came. He is our great prophet and there's no more need because of his influence in our life through the Holy Spirit to go to a man and it's just just been done away with. So I think God is consistent and I don't think he's in conflict I just think he fulfilled it.
3: So where do you find him um, like down here?
0: Uh, Where do I find him?
3: Well like Christ I believe has a body and I believe we can see him so If he manifests himself in the flesh then where do we go to see him in the flesh
0: well do you remember when uh, Christ said uh, the Holy Spirit can't come until I leave and then when I go he will come the comforter and he will teach you all things so when Christ ascended into heaven the day of Pentecost 50 days later the Holy Ghost was given to the church and it's by the Holy Spirit that we know God's will the third the third member of the Godhead if you're LDS or the third part of the Trinity So it's by the Holy Ghost that we know Jesus. He testifies of Jesus and God the Father.
3: Thank you very much.
0: You're welcome. Take care. Thanks for calling. We're going Aaron on line two into Willa. Hello. Hi, Aaron.
5: Hi, Sean. Um, I was a Mormon for about twenty years Uh and now I'm a born again Christian. Um, when I was younger, um my friends used to wear crosses and, and give me cross necklaces, uh-huh. and my mom hated it, and she always asked why I would glorify the way that Jesus died, mm-hmm. and as a born-again Christian now, I understand that, mm-hmm. but I was wondering why Mormons feel like it's so wrong, the way Jesus died.
0: You know, I, I don't think that they, uh, I think they think it is it is the best to really reverence the death of Jesus and to and and by reverencing it they make the cross just anathema to be hold, held up they don't want to show it as a symbol or an icon and they say it was the tool that killed the Lord they don't really realize the importance of that cross and what it really means to us individually Because he took it upon himself. So for us, I mean, for Catholics, sometimes the cross can become a little bit morbid at times, some Catholics. Uh, But for Christians, the cross has meaning of great gratitude and and, and joy. And Mormons don't typically have that because they haven't been spiritually regenerated. Aaron, thank you for calling.
5: All right, thanks.
0: Okay, take care. God bless. God bless you. We're going to uh, something... We're going to a question. Why was Jesus baptized by immersion and why after his resurrection did he, they re-baptize those who were baptized by John the Baptist? Two, do you believe in the set structure of the church, i.e. Moses was taught by his father and Jesus taught his disciples? Uh, this is from Barton. I think he's before. Uh, Jesus was baptized by immersion to fulfill all righteousness. Uh, and it was part of the uh Thing he had to do as the Son of God so that John the Baptist could see the Spirit uh, fall upon the Savior of the world who he was supposed to baptize. And as far as them rebaptizing, we, we, we uh, do all kinds of different things um, uh, in churches to try to make things official. Uh, but I know that people who were not baptized, who were walking along the road and saw Jesus and believed on Him by faith and died without baptism are fine with Him, like the thief on the cross. So baptism, I'm not going to let become an issue because it just it just isn't. Do you believe in the set structure of the church? I'm going to get to that next time. We have uh, Nicole on line one, and we have two minutes. Nicole, fire away.
5: Yeah, I just wanted to say really quickly that one lady who's talking about her children not yeah. being able to socialize so much with the children. Right. I moved here to Utah from California when I was around 13 years old. Uh-huh. And so I know it's really difficult and I really encourage her uh-huh. to be close to her children, try and do whatever she can to increase their self-esteem uh-huh. because it's something that's very hurtful to children.
0: Yes, it is. Well, thank you so much for that. We really appreciate it. Call again. We're going to line two, Eric. Eric, you got about 30 seconds.
2: Okay, I just got a comment. Uh, okay. The Bible clearly states that satan was kicked out of heaven because he wanted to be like god right there's a lot of people in this in this area around here that believe that they will be like god and that should be a first clue that you know you you, your salvation is not based on jesus plus all you can do if that's your salvation basis then you've taken god out of the picture
0: amen listen for when we talk about grace and works and and i'll appreciate more of those comments later thanks so much and we have a little bit of time so i'm going to try line three are you there Fire away. You got about thirty seconds.
1: Okay. Well,
4: um, well just a really quick question: um, um, What does it? What does it all? What does all this matter? Then, if uh, so many diff- so many Christians um, interpret different uh, doctrines um, to their own way, mm-hmm. um, what does it really matter? Then, um, going off of the the scripture we had in Corinthians about um, if Christ is preached, um, whether in contention or in good heart, uh-huh. um, what does really all of this? Uh, matter in, in the sense that as long as we're uh, believing in, in Christ whether in a sense it's it's not maybe necessarily one way that someone would like to believe in Christ or maybe it's one way someone would like to believe in Christ what does really all of this matter okay. then? Um,
0: I'm gonna cut you off because we're out of time but I'm gonna answer your question I'm gonna try to get to it next week thanks okay okay man uh, what it matters is uh, it doesn't and all the infighting doesn't matter it's Jesus who matters and it's him who will give you new life and so the infighting within the Christian community or Christians against the LDS on who the real Jesus is, those things are important later down the road, but the most important thing is that you come to know Him, that you break before Him and you let Him into your life. You ask Him to give you new life and you tell Him you'll follow Him. And when you do that, He gives you a new heart and you can walk in the purity of His blood and not the righteousness of your own works. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Thank you.
3: I'm on a ride Going nowhere I am an existential cowboy On the wind And I won't be coming out I'm going in This man's awake a storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know. And I can feel the light-filled monkeys start to...